Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone's faces again. And now I can see who is sleeping and who isn't, who's paying attention, who's not, who's laughing at the preacher and who's not. Just a couple of notices before we uh, get into this passage. Uh, the first is about masks. As Spencer's mentioned already this morning, uh, you are allowed to take your mask off while we're uh, seated and standing during the service because our seating plan is, means that we are all 1.5 metres apart. Uh, while, uh, when the service finishes, when you're wandering around inside the building, it'd be great to put your mask on because we don't really do the 1.5 very well uh, when we are wandering around. And that's part of the government restrictions uh, and the roadmap that we're trying to follow. Uh, 1.5, uh, you're allowed to take your mask off, uh, but if you're wandering around, be great uh, to put your mask on inside the building after the service. Uh, second notice I wanted to just amplify is the Gospel Coalition Australia Conference. Uh, there were some technical glitches then, that's all good. Uh, it's on Saturday the 16th of October. It's a live stream conference, so we can plan to be at the conference whether we're in a lockdown or not. Uh, so that's good. If there isn't a lockdown, we'll be watching that live stream conference here in the church. Uh, obviously, if we are in lockdown, we'll be watching it from our homes, but it will happen. Uh, so it'll be great if you do uh, want to attend that. We do, as a church, encourage you to join that conference. It'd be great to, if we are in here. Uh, and all the details were on the slide, but we'll send them out uh, also to you all. Our third notice is just uh, from Neville and Joyce uh, Bishop. Uh, as many of you know, Joyce has had a couple of health issues and she's had a few falls during the last few weeks. And Neville just wanted to, uh, 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 he wanted me to thank you all uh, on his behalf for your prayers and support for both of them. Uh, they're not able to join uh, today, so they are most likely watching online, uh, either right now or later on during the day. And they wanted me to pass uh, their thanks uh, to all of us as a church. Uh, finally, just an update on me, uh, so that I don't need to say it 30, 40 times. Uh, thank you for your prayers uh, for me too. Uh, it's been a long journey. Uh, it's not finished yet. My uh, preliminary tests uh, for the blood pressure stuff uh, all has happened uh, in the past few weeks, which is good. And now we're honing in on what the actual problem might be or the issue. Uh, so there are a few further tests ahead. Uh, thanks and appreciate your prayers for them as they keep happening over the coming weeks and maybe months too. Uh, and praise God that uh, we are progressing uh, with that and the doctors are looking after me very well. In terms of my medication, uh, it's been day by day, good, bad, good, bad. Uh, it's been on a good run the last week or two, which has been great. Uh, not perfect uh, because... Uh, with the tests that I'm doing, they're trying to put me on medication that doesn't interfere with the tests. So if you imagine everything that I'm medicated with isn't actually dealing with the problem, but things that are kind of indirectly helping the problem. So uh, it's a bit frustrating, uh, but uh, it's been okay the past week or two. Uh, but I appreciate your prayers uh, there also. It's great to come to God's word. Let's pray as we come to his word. Father God, we're so thankful that you didn't leave us to ourselves, that you sent your son to die for us on the cross, that we might be 
in a right relationship with you. We might uh, take hold of that living hope uh, in Christ that we've just sung about. Lord, we know that your word also tells us how we are to live for you as your saved and forgiven people. And as we come to uh, this part of your word in 1 John this morning, we pray that your spirit would be at work in each and every one of our lives. Lord, we pray that you'd be uh, speaking to us, shaping us, molding us, growing us, challenging us, encouraging us, Lord, so that we may be more like Jesus and that we may live more like him and reflect your glory in our lives and in our world. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in 1968, uh, there was a cult formed in California, USA. It was called the Children of God. Over the decades, this cult, this group, they've changed their name a couple times to the family, the Family International and the Family of Love. And you might think, that sounds like an innocent name. The Children of God, the Family of Love. But this cult, if you haven't heard of it, while originally uh, started with the spreading the message of salvation, the end times, and spiritual happiness, it became a cult that is known for its abuse, its sexual misconduct, and its financial mismanagement. And the name, the Children of God, not really fitting what this group and these people were on about. Well, the readers of 1 John, this letter that we're going through, uh, they were asking a question about the children of God. They were asking, who are the children of God? Are we, John's first readers, the children of God? Or are the group who left the church community, are they the children of God? Who are really God's children? And 1 John 3 John answers this question, and Charlie began looking at this last week. It starts off, if you have your Bibles, uh, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are beloved. We are God's children now. That's at the beginning of chapter 3. And in verses 1 to 10 last week, I looked at the first mark or the first test of who God's children are. It says they practice righteousness, they fight against sin. These people are God's children, the ones who practice righteousness. And verse 10, it ends with this transitional verse, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, that's the righteousness test, verse 1 to 10. And it keeps going, it says, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And that moves us on to the second mark, or the second test about who God's children are. And that's today's passage. God's children love one another. And that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning. You might remember John's already looked at the topic of love a couple passages ago, but he circles back to it today. Uh, remember John's letter, it's like a spiral revisiting the same topics again and again and building on them. And today, uh, we're going back to this topic of love and we're going to see the why, the what, the how, and the consequences of true, authentic, genuine 
gospel-shaped love. And that's where John begins in verse 11. He says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. You see, love is a mark of the original, the first gospel. When people ask you, why do Christians love? We often say, it's about doing good and being kind in the world. But love, you see, it's not just a nice way to act. It's not just an add-on, an addition, a bonus to the good news of Jesus. It's not just an optional way to live. John says that loving others is intrinsic. It's fundamental. It's central to the original gospel message. It's traced back to Jesus himself where he teaches his disciples that new commandment, John 13, to love one another as Jesus had loved them. And this command, this part of the gospel message, it doesn't change, it doesn't go away over time. You see, in John's time, uh, the false teachers around, the guys who left the church, they weren't loving others. They were teaching a new and a different message. And John begins here by assuring the believers reading this. He's saying, be encouraged. Be confident in your faith. You guys, the readers, are loving one another. And that's the original gospel message. Because loving others is central to the good news of Jesus. And as we get started, you might be asking, what does loving one another look like? How is it central to the gospel message? Can't non-believers love others too? And what sort, what type of love are we talking about? Well, after introducing uh, this kind of love, John, he keeps going. He uses the rest of the section to describe, to tell us about this love that marks the children of God. And he keeps going. He starts by painting a black and white picture of love. And I think we need this because it's so easy for us today to assume that we're loving people, to agree that love is important. I mean, who here wouldn't agree that love is important? But we often act without love, and we're okay with that, aren't we? We sing about love, then a couple minutes later, we neglect other believers. We read and we affirm love. Then the next day, we slander a brother or sister in Christ. We even tell ourselves that we're loving people. We're, we're loving uh, in our nature, but when given the opportunity, the chance to love, we sometimes ignore it, don't we? Well, God calls us to a genuine expression of love. And if you're living this out this morning, rubbing against the grain, persevering in Christ-like love, then be encouraged by this passage today. But if you're struggling in this, sometimes loving, sometimes loving not as well, well, be challenged today as we read God's word. John paints this picture of love first by giving us the negative example, an example of someone not loving others. Have a look at verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the, de of the evil one and murdered his brother. 
And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. In Jewish history, in the early church, Cain was always associated with evil. Uh, if you see in Genesis, Genesis 4, uh, Cain, his brother Abel, uh, they were bringing offerings to God. Abel's is accepted, but Cain's is rejected. And Cain, he becomes angry, and he murders his brother Abel. And John brings this up in the context of loving others. He's saying, love one another. Don't be like Cain. He didn't love his brother. And not loving, the opposite of love. What we do when we're not loving, it looks like evil. Hating others. Verse 13 keeps going. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. This, e this evil, hating, non-loving character, just as seen from Cain to Abel, from the evil one to the righteous one, the world, the sinful, God-opposing kingdom, they're going to hate the righteous and the godly too. They're not going to love. And in the first reader's context, uh, the false teachers who had left the church, who were opposing the church, they were hating and not loving. That's how the worldly operates. John says, don't be surprised when this happens. And then he goes on to remind them, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Children of God are different to the world. The world hates. We're called to love. And Christian biblical love is a mark of being a child of God. It shows that you're saved, you're born again from death into new life. But those who don't love, that's a sign of death, of still being spiritually dead, not part of God's children. And John finishes this contrast, this negative example, with a slam dunk in verse 15. He says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. It's building on the end of verse 14. Not loving. He's saying it's a serious thing. It means that you abide in death. And even more than that, you're hating your brother or sister. You're a murderer. And everyone knows no one who's a murderer, who seeks to destroy others, has eternal life. You see, God's word is saying, loving one another, loving the believers, the brothers and sisters, it's a serious thing. Because if we aren't loving, we're actually hating. We're actually like Cain, doing evil. We're actually showing that we aren't God's children and that we aren't enjoying eternal life. John puts it as black and white. You either love or you hate. There's no middle ground. There's no neutral. There's no in-between. 
And John writes this here to actually encourage them because his readers, they were loving others. And the false teachers who left them, they weren't. He's saying, look at your love, your children of God. Look at their lack of love, their hate. They're not children of God. But I think for us, as we read this today, I think it feels more like a challenge to most of us. I think God's word is saying, are you loving? Are you loving fellow believers? Are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? All in our fellowship, truly, genuinely, in word and deed. Because if you're not, it's not just neutral and nothing. You're actually hating, you're actually doing evil like Cain. John even calls that being a murderer. You're not behaving like a child of God. Two passing comments from these verses before we move on. First, does this mean that a murderer cannot be converted? Well, my answer is no, because anyone who repents of their sin and puts their trust in Jesus can enjoy new life in Christ. I think this verse is saying that no true believer, no true converted follower of Jesus will seek out and destroy human life, both literally and figuratively here. And the second comment, is love the only mark of a child of God? Is it the only thing that we're to look for? And I think the answer is no. Just because someone is loving, they might be nice people, but it doesn't automatically make them a child of God. But this passage teaches us that love is definitely evident. It's definitely evident in God's children. There is no negotiation about that. Now, as we keep going, uh, we've seen John contrast love and hate Now we keep exploring his call to love. And now he gives us a positive example of what love is and what this means for God's children. Because love, as you all know, is a word that we use in different ways today. Is love just a feeling? Is love just being kind and morally good? Is love an experiential, emotional thing? Is it a mindset? Is it an action? Well, John points us to where love is demonstrated for us. By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You see, Christian love, the love that God calls us to, his people, the love children of God, Uh, to be marked by. It's a love that's based on the cross of Jesus. John says, you want to see what love is? Look to the cross. Jesus laid down his life for us. It's all giving. It's sacrificial. It's looking at the good of others. That's the love that we've been shown in Jesus. It's the love that we're called to love, uh, to show being ambassadors of God's love. That's one of our church's values. 
You see, the love that God calls us to. It's not just love as in good feelings, nice gestures, kindness. It's not a love that non-believers can live out. It's not a love that comes and goes, that has its limits and boundaries. Because Christian love, it's founded on God's love for us in Jesus. It's seeing the cross of Jesus and responding to Jesus by trusting in him, experiencing that new life that we have, and then living it out. And that means loving one another. Therefore, God honoring love, the love that God wants us to live by, it's always in light of the cross of Jesus. It means that if you're a believer, you'll love others in our church fellowship. And if you get asked why, why would you love these guys? Why would you love Pastor Josh? Why would you love Margaret? Why would you love Brian? Your answer isn't because it's a nice thing to do, right? Or because he's a good guy or she's my friend. Your answer ought to be, God loved me by sending Jesus to die for my sins. That love is sacrificial, all in, and other person-centered love. And that's the love that I'm called by God to show others, to love others by. And John even tells us what this love looks like in verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's first see the context. John's talking about love for brothers. It's about love of fellow believers within the church. Of course, there's a flow on here in how we love people outside the church, but here it's primarily focusing on love within the church. And he's talking about love for those in need, practical need, money, food, help. And John's saying that this Christ-shaped love that we're to show others, this Christ-shaped love, it has legs. It isn't just a thought of love. It's not just a feeling of love. Love has legs. There's an action, a deed, a practical end to this love. He says, if you have the world's goods, the means to help, whether it be materials, money, manpower, or time, and you see a brother or sister in need, we're not to just close our hearts, feel bad for the person, but just walk away. You see, God's love, God's call uh, for us to love one another, it compels us to help our spiritual family in need, to open our hearts to them, and that means practical help, practical love, to act and to fill the need of our brother or sister in Christ. For John's readers, this was an encouragement. He's saying, you guys are loving in light of Jesus. You're one of God's children. Be encouraged. 
But I think there's a challenge there too for them and for us. John's saying, love this way, keep loving. Love in light of Jesus and let that love be shown in word and actions. Now we get to the end of today's passage. Uh, It's an odd few verses here at the end, uh, verse 19 to 24. Uh, Some link it to what uh, we've gone through already in chapter 3. Others link it forward to chapter 4. Some say it's a bit of a detour. John talks about something completely different. Some say it's all of the above because they can't decide. I think it's actually a transition between chapter 3 and chapter 4, so it's got a bit of both in there. But here John shows that as children of God love, they have assurance before God. Verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. People in these first century churches who received uh, John's letter, they trusted in God, but they still needed reassurance while they strive to love others. Their love may have not been perfect. It may have been lacking at times, and they may have thought in those times, I lack love. I'm not loving. Maybe I'm not a child of God. And today we need the same reassurance too when we fail to love this way all the time, when our love is lacking and we might question our status as a child of God. It's a difficult few verses uh, and there's a few uh, similar but not the same views out there. Uh, But one commentator puts it this way. He says, if you're striving to love others in light of Jesus, when your heart condemns, you can be at rest, not guilty, not uneasy. You can be at rest because God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. God knows your heart. He knows all that's going on in there. He knows your sin and your deficiencies He knows you're striving to love. He also knows your trust in Jesus. And whoever God has forgiven in Christ is a child of God. God knows everything and he's greater than your heart. So when your heart condemns, be reassured. John Stott says, God's all-knowing character, it should relieve us, not terrify us. And finally, now that John has soothed the restless heart, he outlines the blessings, the confidence that we have before God of being assured that we are truly God's children. Verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. 
And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. There's a lot going on in here, but to break it down a bit first, confidence or assurance before God is found in two things, believing in the name of Jesus and loving one another, verse 11 to 18. Second thing, uh, this results when we obey his commands and keep his commands, it results in a relationship with God, a union with God, us abiding in God and God abiding in us, or in other words, being children of God. And the third and final thing, this is the, this is the extent of our relationship with God. We're so in tune with God, we're so abiding in God, we're so with God as evidence in our trust in Jesus and desire to love others. We're so in a right way with God that whatever we ask, we will receive from God. We don't want to overreach on this part of scripture. It's not saying rub the genie in a bottle, God, ask anything, name it and claim it. But we shouldn't minimize it either. We can be so confident that we are children of God, that as we obey and please him and ask for things in line with his will and his ways, he will listen to us and he will answer our prayers. That's the relationship we got with God that we have as his children. You see, loving in light of the gospel leads us to assurance before God. We have confidence, full confidence coming before him. Confidence of a right relationship with God. Confidence that we are his children. Confidence that he hears us and he answers us. And if you're a child of God this morning, believing in Jesus, loving others, you can have confidence of a right relationship with God forever. And if you're here this morning and you're not a child of God yet, well, this is what Christianity boils down to, believing in Jesus as Lord and Saviour and loving others as you live for him. And having that assurance and that confidence, that living hope before the Creator and the Lord of the universe that in Jesus you do have a hope of life forever in God's kingdom. So as we finish off this morning, we've seen that children of God, they love one another. That loving others is central to the good news of Jesus, the gospel message. That we aren't to be like the world, we're not to hate our brothers and sisters in Jesus that Christian love looks to the cross of Jesus. It has a practical outworking. And those who love in light of Jesus have assurance and confidence before the living God of all. And as we reflect on all this for ourselves, let me ask you, are you marked by this love? Are you marked by this love this Christ-centred, sacrificial, all-in, other-person-focused love. This love that 
uh, doesn't s- stop with what you're thinking or what you're feeling, a love that has legs, that leads to action, that helps others in need. Think about those around you, those in our church community. Who are those that are in need? Who are those who are in need that we can love? If you don't know if anyone's in need, maybe you have to ask people how they're going. Maybe you have to grow in your connections in the church community to love each other better. Who are those in need? And ask, in light of what Jesus has done for you, for me, on the cross, how can I love this person? How can I practically help his or her need? What can I do? How can I give? Where can I put aside at time to help? How can you be an ambassador of God's love in this fellowship of believers that God has placed you in? God's word teaches us here that children of God love one another. Let's pray to this end. Lord God, we thank you that you saved us in Jesus, that we have the privilege of being called your children. Lord, we pray that you would help us to live as your children, to love in light of all you've done for us in Jesus, to be sacrificial and other person-centered, and this to be seen in our actions and deeds towards others. Lord God, help us not to hate our brothers and sisters in Jesus. And as we love others, Lord God, give us assurance and that sure hope that we are indeed your forever children and that we do look forward to eternal life in in the new creation, in a right, perfect relationship with you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.